It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Cavalry Audio. I'm Clint Emerson, and welcome to season two of Can You Survive This Podcast, where the interview is just as dangerous as the scenarios I put my guests through. From hostage situations to natural disasters, carjackings, active shooters, and more, if you're looking for the skills necessary to survive these situations, then this is the show for you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Can You Survive This Podcast, where the interviews are just as dangerous as the scenarios I put my victims through. And uh, today we got a really special guest. I feel like I say that a lot, but it's mainly because these are a lot of my buddies and they're all very special. Uh, this guy in particular, though, was an assaulter. He was a breacher. He was a sniper. He was a team leader. He was a troop chief. He worked with the military working dogs. And as a senior enlisted advisor, he's done just about everything under the sun. He is also Amtac Shootings owner and lead instructor, and his name is none other than Wild Bill Rapier. Hey, Bill. Thanks for coming to the show, buddy. Hey, Clint. Thanks for having me on. Great to be here. <laughs> well, who would have thought Bill Rapier would be doing interviews on podcasts, huh? Yeah, who would have thought Clint would be hosting them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, I think uh, weren't, weren't both of us the kind of guys that sat around making fun of the guys that we've become, kind of, sort of? Absolutely. Yeah, a little bit, right? So here we are. <laughs> Hypocrites in our own solid professional way. Okay, um, so where do I start with you? Jeez, we've known each other for a while. Uh, let's see, we were at Team 3 together, we went through 18 Delta together, at least the first uh, short course, and then uh, we're on the East Coast at the same time. Our timelines didn't exactly uh, match us up at any locations overseas, at least not that I'm aware of, but, uh, we were on the same coast at the same time. When did you retire? June of 14, 14. That's right. Yep. And then I followed you about a year later in January of 15. Um, geez, I don't even know where to start. We've got hundred deadly skills, combat edition. Obviously you're one of my main badasses in the book and you provided probably the most deadly, crazy, John Wick stuff that anybody's ever seen. Every time there's a video of you uh, going through the motions of your uh, imaginary targets in front of you, uh, it always gets a bunch of views and a whole bunch of conversations going. Um, 
But let's dial back. Out of all those positions, assaulter, breacher, sniper, team leader, troop chief, which one was your favorite? Man, they that it's hard to say because because each one, I mean, there's there was things that were amazing about each one of those roles. I mean, when you're when you're just a, an assaulter shooter level guy, like, man, it's awesome. You have very little responsibility at the time. You think it's a lot, but you know, in, in hindsight, it's, it's, it's almost zero responsibility. Uh, and, and your job is to kick doors and that, and that's, that's great. Right. Kick doors. And then kind of started working my way into, uh, into, you know, first off, just carrying a shotgun. Well, first, you know, when, when you show up, you have to carry a, a manual tool. So I had a Huli. And then once I started my sophomore year, I promptly handed the Huli off. I think to Andy Stumpf, he he got my Huli, and and I upgraded to a shotgun. Uh, nice. And then you know started doing some explosive reaches, you know, explosive charges, and uh, you know so that that was a blast. And then very quickly saw the whole recce piece. Uh, you know, snipers uh, wanted to do that. So worked, worked towards, you know, getting in there and then, then did that for a while. Thought that was very, very satisfying. Just being able to kind of look and figure out how, how are we going to get to this target and, you know, which direction are we going to attack from, you know, all, all that stuff. Like I really enjoyed it. You know, we'd, we'd sit around with my, my team for, for hours and just war game all, all the different, you know, different targets that we had on the deck and go, okay, how, how are we going to do this? You know, what, what's the best way in? And, you know, I found that hugely satisfying. Um, I mean, just, I mean, there, there's, there's points. I mean, I think it's endless. Yeah, it, it's endless, but I, I think there's, there's, there, there's points in each one of those that are just, you know, amazing. I mean, I remember, remember doing a, a tandem jump during the tandem bundle course. And it was a, you know, right at dawn in, you know, in the desert. And I've got, I don't remember who it was strapped to me, but I remember one of my instructors coming and taking grips with me. Like we're, we're there like, you know, hand, hand grips like that on, you know, on a sunrise drop in the desert. And it's just you know, so much cool <laughs> yeah. stuff. It, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to be able to nail it down and say this one thing was the coolest thing. Right. Right. Um, well, I, I mean, I remember you telling me one time, pretty sure it was you, and obviously other guys on the East Coast will say, you know, when you're at certain commands, you can become a true professional at whatever it is you want to be a pro at, right? And uh, I think the example that you gave me was if you want to be a lead climber, you want to be the best lead climber in the world, you can do it at, you know, certain places. And and I think uh, you told me a story about just going and climbing these ice walls as part of a, you know, to become a better lead client. Where was that? That was actually one of my first trips when I got to the command, like after I'd made it through selection and everything. Uh, we flew into Canada and did two weeks ice climbing up in Banff. And it was amazing. I mean, we went with uh, one of the best, uh, Jay Smith, um, one, you know, one of the best ice climbers in the world linked up with him and we you had to ice climb every weekday and then on the weekends you could either ice climb or ski or just hit the bars and so i remember we'd 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 ice you know ice climb monday through friday and then it's it's friday afternoon and, and guys are like all right what's everyone doing you guys are like i'm going skiing or i'm just gonna recover or whatever and like no one no one said they wanted to go climbing i'm like i want to go climb so it ends up just being me and jay smith 
like by ourselves and he's leading this just crazy mixed route, which, you know, I'm able to follow him up, you know, so mixed route is, is something where you're, you're using your ice tools, but there's no ice until you get higher up. So you're dry tooling. Uh, and it's, you know, climbing wise, I was doing a lot of climbing at the time. So I, I didn't feel like the climbing was that hard as a follower, but for him to lead that stuff, that's really, really hard to protect is just, and totally hats off to that guy. And, you know, any of the guys that, that get on the pointy end of the rope on, on serious mixed routes like that is very, very impressive because yeah. it's, you know, you can, I, I, I've said it a lot that you can tell a lot about someone's character when they get on the pointy end of the rope. Uh, I mean, there's been times when I've been climbing. I mean, and I was in high school, I was climbing stuff where I got to points and it's like, if I fall right now, I'm going to die. Like I didn't have the gear. Honestly, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, you know, I didn't have guys mentoring me. It was all kind of OJT me, me learning going, that looks cool. I'm going to try and climb that, which meant I got in over my head a lot, which meant there was times where I remember this one, it was on a second, second pitch in garden of the gods, a flaring crack. And I had, I didn't even own any equipment to protect us. Like I just, I got into this crack and it's like, I got to a point where I'm like, man, I'm like, I'm going to deck if I fall right now. Uh, and I can either freak out and try and down climb, which is super hard, or I can just, you know, this is within my climbing ability. I'm just going to, you know, man up and go. <laughs> so, yeah. Great, great mental strength that can be uh, gotten through, through training like that. Yeah, no doubt. And for those listening, Banff, uh, the only time you usually see it these days on your Instagram feed of the beautiful lakes at altitude up there at elevation yeah. up there, uh, snow capped mountains, super surreal. Little do they Lake know. Louise. Yes. It's amazing. Yeah. Amazing area. Holy crap. And you're pulling off feats up there, climbing up, uh, ice walls. That's pretty cool, man. Um, now, you know, I know that, uh, you and I both know, and you've done enough podcasts now and anybody who knows, you knows you're quite the seasoned fighter. You've, uh, a whole bunch of different arts under your belt. You've been uh, experienced and also constantly a student at the same time uh, with most of what you do. So dialing back, I remember in one time we were talking, I found it so interesting. You said when you were a kid, you read where Bruce Lee said, if you want good feet, you want to be good on your feet, you have to, you know, start fencing. And so you immediately like basically dropped the book and went and signed up for fencing lessons. Is that correct? Close. I think I was actually, <laughs> I think I was actually already at the command when, when I had read that. And, oh, okay. but, but yeah, basically the, the, the rest is the timing was a little off in, in the story, but the rest <laughs> of it. Yeah. I went to, I think Tidewater community college had a, uh, had a fencing program and I went there and started fencing basically to work on footwork, you know, I mean, I, I wanted to, to work the footwork aspect of it. And then I also wanted to work the, the sword aspect of it, which I, I learned very quickly. That actually, there, there's not a whole lot of true, like martial, like th there's great things to be gotten from fencing, mm -hmm. but the martial aspect of a lot of that has been lost just because there, there's too many rules, you know, you're, you're, it's all very linear. You're not allowed to circle at all. You're not allowed to grab people's blades uh, you know, there's no stand up grappling. There's, there's just, a, there's a lot of things that have 
have kind of, as it's become more of a sport, which is really the danger with any, with any martial art that you do is that you, you want to be competitive when you do it, which is good. Competition is a very good thing. Uh, but you have to keep the competitive side in its box because if then you allow the competitive side to dominate it, uh, then you end up with a game that doesn't really have martial application anymore. I mean, it happens with some of the shooting sports. Uh, it happens with fencing. It happens with, you know, you look at Olympic archery or Olympic pistol shooting has nothing to do with actually protecting yourself. Um, but it has become its own thing. Right. Right. And there's aspects of those that are very helpful that you can take that will make you better at protecting yourself and your family. Just like, I mean, that, that's the reason to go fence is to learn footwork. Um, and I mean, there is some good lunging thrusts and whatnot, or, or, you know, that's, that's still a very valid technique. You're listening to, can you survive this podcast? Thanks for tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and share on the iHeartRadio app, Apple podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Yeah. This can be taken and applied to other things that you're doing. Absolutely. Like a muzzle strike. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That direct um, straight the lunging, line. Yes. The lunging step. Yes. <clears throat> um, so, okay. So then let's go back. When, when you were a kid, I know you grew up overseas, roaming the planet with your family. And uh, what was your art? What was your passion then? So I remember living in Germany and I wanted to do karate. And my parents wouldn't let me do karate because they thought that maybe there was mysticism, you know, or that there was something that would be, you know, that there would be a, a negative spiritual as, aspect to it. Right. Um, and, but they let me do judo. So I did judo for a while in, in Germany. I remember I was not very good at it. I remember a, a competition and this German kid came up to me and he said, I, before the match, he said, I'm going to do Ippon Zeonaga on you. And I'm kind of like, yeah, whatever, you know, and we get out on the mat and bam, he hits that throw and, you know, full point. And that was it for me. Uh, <laughs> so I did judo for a while. And then uh, when we moved to Swaziland in Southern Africa, I started doing Taekwondo and it was really enjoyed it. It was with this just crusty old Korean dude spoke hardly no English had been, a you know, a, a rock, you know, Korean soldier, uh, he was just a short, stout guy. And, you know, it was, you know, I think practice was like two to two and a half hours on a hardwood floor and it wasn't optional. You just, it was twice a week and you had to be there and we sparred with no pads on. And it was just like, I really enjoyed that because it was kind of a hard style. I mean, I, the first time we were there, it was knuckle pushups on the hardwood floor and my knuckles were bleeding. I just remember thinking, this is so cool. It's like, I'm finally doing something that's, that's martial. Uh, and then I came stateside and the Taekwondo was not that way at all. It was much more Olympic style, mm -hmm. which, you know, has its own, you know, pros and cons. Uh, but it wasn't that hard style that I, that I'd liked in Africa. So I, I kept doing Taekwondo for a little while stateside, you know, and this is me early, early high school. And then I started wrestling and loved wrestling you know, having, having grown up overseas until I was uh, basically a sophomore in high school, you know, overseas, you just don't have that kind of stuff. You don't have that same kind of very, you know, I would say our American organized sports are very militant, very like, I mean, it, it's great prep for the military. 
it's one of the reasons why I think we have a better military than anyone else is because we have so many guys that come from having done, you know, football or wrestling or basketball or any of the sports where there's, Hey, there's a, there's a team component of it. There's a, there's an us and them, there's a discipline component, there's a training component. All those things are, are really good to learn before you get in the military. Yeah. So wrestled for a few years, loved it. I did not, I was one, one match away from making it to States in Colorado in, in 90, was it, it would have been 93, 94 season. Um, and just crushed me because I, I poured a lot of heart and soul into that. Um, but didn't, didn't quite make, you know, wasn't a good enough wrestler um, to do that. And then, you know, came, came in the Navy, got in the teams, uh, got linked up and was doing some SAFTA, uh, a guy named Lou Hicks out of uh, Imperial Beach. He was doing that. He was a team guy. And that was kind of my first introduction to a martial art that, uh, like there's a lot of good things with that, but there was, as I look back on it, there was also a lot of mistruths or half truths with it. Uh, but it was very, you know, first, first art where, you know, we're really, we're talking seriously about knees and elbows and knee dropping people and stomps and stuff that is much more, if we're actually fighting, if we're actually, you know, martial means warlike. So if we're practicing warlike skills, stomping on people is more like skill. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's something, you know, kicking, knee dropping, um, all that stuff. Those are martial skills. So did some of that. Then I think it was in 18 Delta that I first got introduced to a little bit of Kali. And that was with our buddy, John, big John. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, so I remember doing stuff with wooden blades for hours with him on, on the back porch and, uh, and then fast forward to, I think it was early 2001 as when I started doing jujitsu and that was with Gustavo Machado back in Virginia beach. Um, awesome. So, so blessed to have him as my jujitsu teacher. Cause he's just, he's amazing. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. he's, uh, I, you know, so I, I was with him. I am mean, still under him within, you know, within jujitsu, but I remember the last time I rolled with him, you know, I'm. I'm bigger than him and I'm stronger than him. And he's tapping me out. And I just remember like we're sitting around afterwards. I'm like, Ooga, I'm bigger and stronger than you. And he just smiles. He goes, but I taught you everything, you know, <laughs> Young Jedi. so, you know, that was, that was great. Just being able to come up under him and, uh, you know, learn jujitsu part way into my jujitsu experience. I got linked up with Sayak Kali and, you know, got to meet, Tom Kyer, and then I uh, got to meet um, Carl Etienne, you know, the Etienne, Etienza brothers. Um, so another Etienza, you know, the Etienza Kali system got to, got to get linked up with those guys. And those guys also huge, huge impact on, you know, on my mindset, on uh, just the way I approach any kind of combatives training, uh, just, you know, just the whole, you know, Tuan Harley just said this recently, like the the first step in unarmed combat is get armed. You know, this whole, this whole idea that you're going to, that it's going to be a fair fight and you're going to fight with your fists is just, uh, it's a fallacy. Like in any kind of real fight, it's, it's very, very unlikely that it's going to, that it's going to be number one, just one versus one. And number two, that, that someone is not going to introduce weapons into, into the equation. Right. So if we're truly approaching this from a martial perspective, we should be training with weapons as much as possible. 
in fact, that should be the first thing that you should do is train with weapons because, uh, I mean, if you think about how, how long does it take to make someone dangerous, not, not proficient, but dangerous with a pistol, you know, yeah. in a few hours, you can take someone and go, okay, this is how, you know, make, first off, make sure you don't shoot yourself or anyone unintentionally. That's the most important thing yep. with firearms. Then the next most important thing is make sure that you can load your firearm safely, handle your firearm safely. And so that when I, when I pull it out, it's going to go bang, Other, you know, otherwise everything else is, is wasted. Uh, but then after that, like if you're, if you're within three feet of grandma with a pistol, watch out. You know, like you don't, you don't have to be really good. And, and now you, you are an order of magnitude better. So I always like to start people with, with pistol work because it's the biggest bang for your buck. And the next would be blade work because with a, a little bit more training, it's, it's still very, very easy to make people uh, competent. And then after we've, we have a, a baseline in, in both of those weapons, then I would say, yes, yeah, then start doing empty hand stuff because the empty hand stuff. I mean, I can take that that same two hours or three hours with with grandma, of of showing her how to not get taken down. And guess what? When oh, I yeah. shoot in for double leg, I'm taking her down. <laughs> like, you know, and she's not going to arm bar me. She's not going to triangle me. You know. So, but if she's got a blade. She yeah. can gut me, right? That's right. Um. So, you, using tools is a very that, that's probably been the the you know one of the biggest things in the. You know, when it comes to actual skill sets, you know, aside from the mindset piece within within that martial progression is is just the need for tools and the need for teaching tools early on in someone's progression in a martial art. Yeah. Yeah, that's all good stuff. And you have a, an incredible resume that an experience that backs it all up. And with the pistol and the knife, let's let's do a. Uh, I think the I think our listeners would get a kick out of it. But what is the decision point for you on whether you're going to pistol or you're going to blades? First and foremost is what hand is busy. If well, let's I mean let's say you were trying to pull my pistol out and my right hand is mm -hmm. on top of your hand. It could be my hand on top of your hand. Your hand could already be on the pistol. You're starting to pull it out. My hand goes on top of yours, or my forearm goes on top of yours. I can't pull my pistol out at this point, but my left hand's free. So I can deploy a blade in, you know, into someone's throat uh, very, very fast. It's actually a faster draw stroke than, than pistol draw strokes are. Um, and it's a simpler guys screw it up less than, than your pistol draw stroke. Uh, so re really it, it has mostly to do with which hand is free. Um, then, I mean, I would say the same thing on, on your other side. You know, if your left hand was busy, your right hand's pulling the tools out. Uh, if you're getting suplexed, right, someone's grabbing onto you from behind. Now, both of your your strong side pistol and your other strong side blade, which are both on your belt line, uh, they're both covered up. So that's where having that pocket blade, right, shameless plug for the Northman that we sell. Oh, yeah. um, but having any, I mean, it doesn't have to be our blade, it can be any, anyone's blade, that, but it's not on your waistline. So that now I can draw that thing and, and, and deploy a tool when, when you think you're checking all the weapons. Same thing if someone has mount on you. Uh, in order for me to draw a weapon from my waistline, I've got to do some grappling stuff, right? I got to bump and shrimp in order to create enough space to access tools on my waistline. Or I can just reach into my pocket and go right into a fatal embrace, right? Kidneys right into subclavians. It's a very, right. uh, it's, it's a huge force multiplier. 
Yeah, I gotcha. So <clears throat> for those of the, those of you listening, what Bill is saying is that he is so proficient with either knife or pistol that he can go to either one at any given time uh, based on what his hands are doing. When he talks about, you know, if someone's got the mount on you, that's basically someone straddling you at the pelvic area and you're on your back and you can't exactly get to your waistline where you have your tools. So you have to have that alternative that it refers to, which would be still a fixed blade. Uh, but the one he sells along with others, uh, you can carry like a folder in your right or left corner crook of your pocket, um, front pocket. So yeah, that's good stuff, man. And, um, I mean, it ends up being, it ends up going to, we got to kind of talk through the, the, the competency. Yeah. Right. So when, when we all start off training, we have unconscious incompetence. You don't know that you're horrible at whatever. Gra we'll just say grappling. You don't yeah. know that there's this whole, that you think you, you think you're going to step on the mat and it's like, it's not going to be that bad. And then all of a sudden, like you've flown through the air and you're getting choked out and you're like, Oh man, that was horrible. <laughs> like, I don't even know what happened. Right. Right. And so you do that a few times, you know, you, you train a little bit and then you get to what we call conscious incompetence. You're at a point now where you've realized your eyes have been open and you realize, man, I'm horrible at this. Mm -hmm. Like I, every time I step out on the mat, like I get crushed. Yeah. We, then we keep training for a while and we get to conscious competence, right? So now it's okay. I'm, I'm squaring up with you and I see you drop your weight. And then I'm like, Oh, I got to drop my weight too. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is, it's not good if you're still having to think about it uh, in, ter in terms of, <laughs> yeah. of, of pistol craft, that would be okay. I'm, I'm there and I'm focusing on my front sight and I'm digging in with my toes. And I'm slowly squeezing the trigger and I'm telling myself, squeeze, 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 bang. And you're like, wow, it worked. Right. So that, that would be a conscious level of competence. Yeah. What we all want to get to is unconscious competence where the conscious decision is I need to engage this. And then your hands just start moving. So that's where we want to get to with, with pistol and blade and transitions and striking into transitions, transitions, meaning just transitioning from empty hands to some sort of a weapon, which is really one of the most important things. So if I can go from, if I'm at the unconscious competence level of, okay, I'm, I might just think it's a fist fight. And then all of a sudden I look down and I realize, oh, that's interesting. Like something stinging in my side right now. And, oh, look at there's, that looks like a, a red blade in that guy's hand. Right. And now you're, mm -hmm. you're processing this and you're going, I, I, Oh, I've been stabbed. Right. And so now it's, this is not a fist fight and now you're going, okay, well, this hand is, is covering or this hand is pushing into this guy. And so my right hand is free. So I'm going to draw my pistol and I'm going to shoot. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and it's, it, it is uh, the more you do it, and the more you train, the more you build yourself into that unconscious competence level where it's just the conscious decision is I need to use lethal force right now. And then everything else happens unconsciously or subconsciously. Super, super important to, to, to be able to delineate those things. Yeah. And that doesn't come overnight, right? I mean, that's a lot of training going on. Yeah. Which leads to uh, what you teach. And, uh, you know, you've you guys have already heard Bill say knife gun elbows all in one and that's really what it boils down to is integrated combatives now go ahead and let everybody know you're kind of how you define integrative combatives so integrated combatives would be just seamlessly moving from one tool to the next not based off of oh i'm a gun guy or i'm a blade guy or i'm a boxer or i'm a jujitsu guy like 
I'm a guy that wants to win. You know, I, I want to survive and I want my family to survive. So it's based off of what is situationally appropriate. So if, if the right thing to do is to throw a jab cross hook, then throw a jab cross hook. If the right thing to do is to throw a cross and then go knee on belly and control the guy's hands until, you know, till law enforcement shows up, then, then that's the right thing to do. You know, if the right thing is to stab the guy in the throat and then pull your pistol out and shoot him, you know, four or five times in the pelvic girdle, then, you know, it's, it's, you don't want to be married to any one of those things. You're doing it based off of what is situationally appropriate. And, and we don't, you know, sometimes guys get very, they're like, Oh, a knife and a gun. Like we've repped this so many times, right. And I invent the stuff, the stuff that the SAC tactical guys invented this stuff. All, all of us that are teaching of the, the similar thing, we all have our own little takes. We have our things that we, that we emphasize, but those were the guys that first started doing the integrated combatives piece. Um, the reason we're doing it is because the stuff works. Yeah. Because when I am grappling with other guys that are high level grapplers and, and we have tools on either side, man, it's so hard to beat someone. If we're doing stand up grappling, we're doing this with multiple people. I mean, we've done this with, with church stuff. You're right. Counteractive shooter type stuff. You've got a guy that, that has a lethal tool on either side. Can, that, that can deploy it with either hand. That guy is an order of magnitude harder to deal with than a guy that can only deploy a weapon from one side. Uh, so it's just, if, if that's the hardest guy to deal with, well, I want to be the hardest guy to deal with. Right. I mean, I want, I, I want all of my, like everyone that I train, I, I train good, good Americans to protect themselves and their families. I want them all to win. Right. I want all of my friends to win. I want my family to win. Uh, that is the best thing that, that we have found, uh, in order to win. Right. And so yeah. that it kind of gets into this. I, I say that we have found what I mean by that is, it should be an open system, right? Just because this is where I'm at right now. And like, yeah, this is the best stuff that I've found up until now there. I've had students show me stuff on the range or ask like, Hey, you ever thought about doing this this way? And if it's better, guess what? Thank you. Part of my system now, like I'll give you credit for it forever, but it's mine. Cause if it's like, cause why would I stand on, Oh, well, I learned it this way. So this must be the way to do it. Right. If there, if I can prove to myself, there's a better way of doing things. That's the way I'm not going to do something subpar just because I learned it that way a long time ago. You should constantly be on that path, right? If you're truly on a martial path, meaning war, I want my warlike skills to be better than whatever system you do. That can be your base system, but you need to have an open system, i.e., I'm ready. If there's input that is better than, than the technology that I'm currently using, I'm all ears. Show me what it is. Um, we we got to be judicious with this because sometimes, especially guys like me that are in front of people all the time, I know that I can be convincing. So I'll tell you right now, don't take everything that I say as, you know, just don't take it at face value, right? Socialize it with your friends, with your peers, with other instructors that you, uh, that you respect. And then if it's better, adopt it. And if you don't think it's better, don't adopt it, right? Yeah. But don't just do something because, oh, so-and-so said to do it this way. You know, that's the 18-year-old that's the thing right? Or, or younger. You know, do it. Why, why am I doing this? Because I told you to. Right, right. You, you haven't earned the right to ask yet why. Like of, of, when, when guys mature, they, they get to ask why. And, and you should have the what we call LOT, logical order of thought behind everything that we do. We will be right back after the break. 
Yeah, I like that, man. And it takes some people time, experience, and exposure until they start to realize, oh, wait a minute. Not just that one art is the way to go. It's, it's multiple things that you pull from all the arts and put them together in an order that allows you to survive is really ends up being the right answer. And having an open mind, being flexible, and exposure, I think, is something that it takes some people a little bit to learn or to kind of grasp, right? Boxers, me, I'm, you know, it's a boxing thing. I've been boxing forever. And, um, I think the first thing I was exposed to was Taekwondo over in Saudi, same as you growing up overseas with limited resources. I was stuck yep. with whatever I could get. My guy wasn't as cool as yours. You know, <laughs> we didn't have the, we didn't have the hardwood floors, the bloody knuckles. It was all just your typical Taekwondo, you know, doing stuff to earn belts. And that really, uh, that was really about it. And then I uh, came back here and, uh, wasn't till in high school, there were some guys that were, that were fighting and it was more JKD like, right. The old Bruce Lee style. Yeah. And then from there I got exposed to some Kali, mainly just sticks. Um, once I was in, and I also did a bunch of, uh, it was at the time when the first UFC came out and the Gracie's just crushed everybody or yeah. hoisted at least. And then, uh, um, so of course I started taking, uh, Gracie seminars and then, uh, Danny and Santo seminars and, uh, what else? Yeah. Same thing. But what, what took time, you know, cause you, once you, as a youngster, you go to one thing, you're like, this is it. These sticks, I'm going to carry 100%. sticks everywhere I go. <laughs> then you realize oh wait a minute i can't carry sticks everywhere i go but Man, they were I, cool yeah i, I remember like being <laughs> torn up from like the school that i went to in in africa and the teacher there had said that you're was it the back stand you know the stance where you're like most of the weights on your back foot yeah he had said that was like 90 10 you know 90 10 percent or 80 20 percent and then the school in the states was saying 60 40 and i remember asking a question <laughs> and they were like chewed me out for asking the question like how dare you and yeah, that's but that like that really bothered me because like i had been told this is how you're supposed to do this yeah and then someone else is saying something 20 percent off and i'm like it freaked you know it like that really messed with me and then now, as I've matured, I look at it and go, now, if I'm, if I'm training with a boxer, I'm going to do boxing stuff. If I'm training with a Thai boxer, I'm going to do everything the way the Thai boxer says to do it. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the wrestler, because there's aspects of it that you will gain. I mean, I remember sparring at the command. Uh, I don't remember what the, what the guy's name was, but he was like this little spark plug guy. And he just kept punching me in the face. Like with this big, like looping, you know, looping overhand. And I'm just like, man, why, you know, and I'm not a great boxer. Um, you know, like I've boxed enough to where you know, I, I don't do the, the bad stuff when people, you know, when people punch you in the face, I'm like, okay, whatever. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah. um, but this guy kept, keeps hitting me with this, this big looping overhand. And he's smaller than me. Like, I, you know, like I've got the range, all this stuff. And then I kind of evaluate, I'm like, I'm fighting this guy. Like we're in a grappling match right now. Like I was super low hunched over like in a stance where my probably six inch reach advantage was just completely mm -hmm. negated. So then I remember going, okay, you know, our, our boxing coach was machine at the time. That was his nickname. Like machine says to stand totally bladed, 
very upright. I do that. And all of a sudden, like my jab is just keeping him at bay. Like I'm punching him in the face all the time. And he doesn't land any more of those, you know, those yeah. looping hooks on me. <laughs> and so it's, it's just being able to take little pieces from all that. So now if there's, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm training with someone and they're doing it, they, they do a different style than me, I will try it the way they're teaching it. And then I'll go home and I'll think about it and I'll war game. I'll go, okay, how does this, does this blend in with, with, you know, with my baseline system? Um, or is this like, uh, well, under these circumstances, maybe I do this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what you've mastered is, you know, that time I've been with you, you can basically rotate in seconds from one art to another. I think that's what you do best. I mean, you're throwing a flurry of elbows at me and before you know it, there's a knife in my gut and then the pistol at my forehead kind of thing, you know, and that's, uh, that is the integrated combatives that I feel like is without a doubt, like, uh, um, you've defined it really. I mean, it's super cool, man. And you move, you move faster than I think what m most people realize too. Like you're fast and, uh, the big guy moving fast is scary. And, uh, yeah. And you, it, I, like I told you, like if you watch any of the hundred deadly skill combat edition videos that are attached to each illustration, you see my apprehension with only one person, now the entire book, and that is with Bill, because he's moving fast, and his uh, his fifty percent is uh, most people's hundred percent. Because you feel it, you feel every inch <laughs> that he's bumping you with. Um, <clears throat> okay, so let's get into uh, Amtac. This thing uh, you started as Amtac, like shooting, and then you got Amtac blades. Yes. Um, so. What can someone learn? They come to an Amtac shooting course. What is it that they're going to learn from you? So the, the mission with, with Amtac shooting is to help good Americans be able to protect themselves and their families better. So that, that really is that, you know, guys, different guys approach it from, from, from different perspectives. That is our perspective. Like, I want you to leave more capable, more able to survive a violent confrontation. So I always tell guys, you know, when they're starting, you know, what, what should I do first? Absolutely. You should do a pistol class first because that is your know, biggest bang for your buck. That gives you the, uh, you know, at the end of day one, if you go home with a pistol on your hip, you, you might use it. Whereas the carbine stuff is much more, uh, you know, things have to be really degraded in the United States for like, for you to be pulling your carbine out and going to work. I mean, not, not that it couldn't happen, uh, but yeah, it's a little, it's a little, but like that, that's, that's a little bit down the road. Uh, and then, you know, the precision rifle side of things, that's like, that's way down the road of, you know, of, of things that are, that are useful or, or, or likely to be used. Yeah. Um, so I try and start sense, guys too. off with that. And then we've got, five, I think five different pistol courses that we teach now. And they all, uh, that that's been a cool thing. Like I would drive, I would go crazy if I thought the same thing over and over again. So with, with having five different pistol classes, it's, it's nice because they each focus on different things. So we have our responsible armed citizen course. That was the first one that we came up with. And that is, it's mostly a pistol fundamentals class with a intro to combatives block in it. Uh, and then the next one was the integrated combatives class. So that one has the most, it still has pistol fundamentals, but it has the most empty hand fighting and the most bladed fighting 
and the most integration. Like the, the, the majority of the time is spent focusing on that. Uh, then we have our force on force class. And that was born directly out of students saying, hey, like this would be cool if we could pressurize some of this stuff. So we still do hard skills, i.e. we still do pistol fundamentals. We still do some fighting fundamentals. We still do a little bit of blade fundamentals, but then using airsoft, which is very cheap, uh, you know, it's 150 bucks for a guy to get into a, you know, licensed, you know, airsoft pistol. Mm -hmm. uh, and now we can actually go, okay, well, how, how are you reacting when it's not just flat range stuff? When, when there's dudes charging you with, you know, with a, a training machete, like your, your eyes are closed. I say, go. And you open your eyes and some dude's charging you like, what, you know, what do you do? That's and and the answer is you fall back to whatever your conscious level of competence is or incompetence is <laughs> like what was some the guys. It's a, it's a truth maker, right? So yeah, it shows what it is. But the thing is we can learn to do better under these things because we, we learn to basically analyze patterns of violence and then you go, oh, it's this, I do this, or, oh, it's this, I do this. And so our decision-making process is faster. We get in the whole oil, oh, Boyd's OODA loop, um, you know, and it just, it, it's a, so that's, that's a good course. Then I had guys, I've been doing a night vision course for years uh and start getting student feedback of hey we should do a, a just a low light course right a lot more guys running around at nighttime with with pistols and flashlights than with night vision goggles on <laughs> yeah. uh and you know guys asked that enough and i was like yeah of, you know, of course like that, that's a great idea uh so we do that that's actually i really enjoy that class because it's it's just it's a lot of shooting because if you want to learn to shoot with a flashlight in your hand you got to shoot with a flashlight in your hand yeah. Um, also, I think in part that that course should be called you're going to buy a weapons mounted flashlight at the end of this course, because <laughs> yeah. what we do is I make everyone whether whether you have a light on your pistol or not, like you still have to learn how to shoot with a flashlight in hand. So I teach all the different methods of doing that. All the old school ones we used to do. Like and the then, <laughs> yeah, all, all the Fingers. different, yeah, <laughs> all the different things. But then 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 we'll shoot drills and I'll say, okay, this next drill, you have to have a flashlight in your hand and this next, and then, and then you'll shoot the same drill with a weapons mount light. Mm -hmm. You're like a third faster oh, and, yeah. and more accurate. And it's like, so it's a, if, if this is going to save your, you know, your, your children's life, which one would you rather have? And the, and the weapons lights have just come so far now. They're so small. They're so light. They're so and bright lasers yeah. into them uh, that it's just, it, it, it makes sense. So we've got, we've got that one. And then our latest pistol course is the low vis pistol combatives course. And that is based off of sometimes you need to carry a smaller pistol. Hmm. I carry, you know, we've, we've for years, the mantra has been full size man, full size gun, carry the pistol that you shoot best that you can conceal and then dress around your pistol. But sometimes that just doesn't work, you know, depending on your professional and you have to do this, that might not be acceptable. So it shouldn't be, well, it's either a full-size gun or no gun. And now with some of the smaller, you know, compact pistols that are out there are phenomenal. Uh, what do you consider compact? Uh, like the G43Xs or the SIG uh, 365s. Yeah. You, know, you, you get okay. in both of those, you, you, know, you get between 10, 12, 15 rounds, uh, you know, especially with the, with aftermarket mags, uh, you get, you, you get a 
a lot of bullets yeah, yeah. and in a very shootable pistol uh so something like that we're, we're basically uh with you know with with that it it becomes a you know I, I use a different holster i use a deeper concealment holster so your draw strokes are a little bit slower um same thing with the blades like i use a deeper concealment sheath for the blades like basically nothing showing i'll start that class off and i'll just have everyone line up and and kind of show you know hey i'm wearing a t-shirt and yeah there's one little bulge on you right there or man you even have a pistol on you that's pretty good you yeah. know and just to just to see and you know and the idea being uh you know let's let's get a class in with a little bit smaller pistol than we normally roll with uh so yeah it's a lot of variety within the, within the classes uh really with any of those w- would be a good place to start maybe then the the night one maybe not quite as much um but really any of the other ones uh would are, are a good place to start because we do shoot pistol fundamentals every single course that we do because you have yeah. to like you just that's that is the bread and butter of of pistol combatives so if you're yeah. not if you're not doing if you're not working your your pistol fundamentals uh you know what are you doing because there's no secret sauce in shooting it's just mastery (laughs) right it's it's reaching unconscious competence level of fundamentals that's that's what being a good shooter is no doubt about it and uh yeah i think you and i both are big believers in mastering the basics is what makes you advanced 100 a lot of people a lot of people think there's supposed to be some ninja tricks out there that we're not, we're not teaching them that we know. And I'm like, Nope, you just got to master the basics. Just the, the forward roll into a draw and smoke bombs, right? (laughs) Throwing stars. Don't forget about throwing stars. Distract (laughs) your enemy first. Um, okay. So let's see here. Um, let's go through a little bit of, uh, just, I don't know. What was your favorite what was the, what was your, when you were a young frog man, what was your like most favorite or valued item you were issued? You're like, Oh, got it. I love this thing. The, the original Spears Warmy system. Oh yeah. Was amazing. I mean, looking back on it, it was, it was horrible compared to like what we got a few years <laughs> later with the, you know, the, the stuff that Mark Twight worked on and, the kind of Pepsi, right? Mark Twight's Pepsi system. I think, yeah, I think yeah. that's, that's what that got pushed out as, but the, you know, just having all these warmies to choose from and you weren't going to get in trouble for wearing more warmies. Like you could, <laughs> you could pick the level of warmies that, you know, that were appropriate for the mission, you know, and there was some, like, we screwed some stuff up. I remember like doing ambush training out at uh, Camp Roberts. Yeah. Remember, remember that place? Oh, yeah. uh, and, you know, we were going to lay there for hours and we had all these, I think I had bibs on, I had all this stuff, but I patrolled in it. And so of course I was a sweaty mess, like, <laughs> like patrolling there. And then I was, I had sweated so much that I was still freezing when I was laying there for, you know, for our ambush. Uh, yeah. So that was good. Good lessons learned there. We will be right back after the break. I think that's what most people don't realize about SEALs or even most special operations guys that we value our warmies more than most, (laughs) like, especially like after a night dive, it wasn't until the first couple showing up team three with my first platoon where I 
I noticed the chief, man, as soon as he got pulled back in the Zodiac, that guy was out of his rubber and into warmies and then had a little, you know, little Stanley thermos and he was pouring some hot coffee. And I was like, oh, so that that's okay. We're not just supposed to be wet and cold and miserable miserable for (laughs) the entire night. And of course I was the first couple of times. Then I started to remember and prep like, okay, do what chief's doing. Yeah. Warmies and coffee in your bag as soon as you're done. (laughs) It makes sense. I mean, ultimately like you're the faster you recover, the faster you get your core temperature back up, the more useful you are. So it just, it makes sense. I mean, I I do it now when I'm out backcountry skiing, you know, having soon as I stop, like I'm, I might be down to a t-shirt or like a, you know, the, the lightest level, lightest warming level that I have during movement. And then as, as soon as I stop, I, I throw a puff jacket on like yeah. wood and everything, even before I'm cold, because I know if, you know, within five minutes, I'm going to be freezing cold. And my circulation is so horrible that like, then it might take me 45 minutes to, to get feeling again in my fingers and toes. So it's yeah. better just keep the I'm more functional by having that stuff on me. Uh, I mean, same, I've gone through the same thing up here with pistol work, you know, pistol work in in the wintertime might consist of part of my draw stroke is ditching my snowmobile gloves (laughs) because I can't like if, you know, if it's pistol stuff, you know, I can't wear a glove that is thin enough that provides enough thermal protection to actually get work done with pistol. Right. Um, now with some of the, you know, if I'm running AK drills, yeah. Like, you know, that platform is specifically designed for guys with, with big, big mitts on. Yeah. Um, but for, you know, for your normal everyday carry stuff, like you gotta, you know, when I'm out running in the winter time, I'm running through the snow. I've got all my, you know, I've got a bunch of warmies on, I'll have, you know, ski slash snowmobile gloves on when I'm running. And so I'll wrap part of, you know, stripping that glove out of my hand as part of my draw stroke because because i've done the the opposite as well i've just run in contact gloves and 10 minutes into the run my hands are ice cubes you know and i'd be completely useless yeah right so while i don't i have one step less as part of my draw stroke my fingers are completely useless like it's going to be really hard for me to get an accurate trigger squeeze uh, just because I, I don't have any feeling in my fingers. Yeah, no, that's it. You add, you add realism, like the real life, no shit parts and pieces to your daily habits. Most people don't do that. As you know, um, just that little point you just made gloves, right? I mean, whether it's mittens or fingered gloves, you know, what's going to work, what's not going to work. And the fact that you got to strip them now, are you stripping them and they're hanging from a lanyard around the wrist so that you can recover your just hands throwing, later or throwing are you just them down. throwing them? not not okay. winter warfare i'm not worried about coming you <laughs> yeah. know like i gotcha the soviets finding it or you know anything crazy like that it's okay. you know this is like hey if i'm if i'm on a run and some tweaker you know yeah. assaults me like okay what, what am i doing or if i'm backcountry like oh, this might be i might be backcountry on skis and yeah. you know and it's some wild animal charging me right yeah you know Gotta so blow it gotcha that's good stuff. Now I'm going to set you up for the kill here a little bit. What's your favorite fixed blade knife? Would be either the Northman or the Magnus. The Northman and the Magnus. Now those are made by uh, Amtac Blades. A little company right? called Amtac Blades. <laughs> AmtacBlades.com. Full disclosure, that's, that's, that's our company. Um, but yeah, 
Uh, I mean that that, that that you know that's why you know we have them. I mean, there's a bunch of good, uh, you know, really like headhunter blades. I, I ran his blades for a long time. I, I like the yeah. Atienza Kali blades. I like the Sayak blades. I like Jay Kobach blades. You know, like you know those guys are all friends. They're all guys that make good good blades. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Frank's, you know, North Northman actual, like his blades, awesome blades. Uh, but it's, you know, doing this, have, having your own thing is cool. Cause you get to make it for, you know, like a, a, everything I design is, is like, I, I plan on having a gun with me. Like I have a yeah. gun with me 99 plus percent of the time. So, I mean, simple things like all the slabs on our handles are flat. Because when I'm marrying it up with a pistol, it's better. It's not better for bushcrafting all day long, but it's better for, you know, for being yeah. married up with a pistol. Also allows you to track better. So there's just, uh, there's a bunch of little things that are like, uh, hey, it's our, it's our company. I'm going to go with what I, you know, the, the stuff that I find the most useful. I mean, for instance, you know, we, so we started off with the Northman. That's the pocket fixed blade knife three and a half inch blade, a much smaller handle. It's a compromise, right? It's something that it's always in your pocket. Is it the best skinning knife? Absolutely not, but I've skinned deer with it. You know, like, is it, you know, there's, so there's, you know, it takes you a little longer. What's the best and what's actually in my pocket hundred percent of the time, Uh, you know, and I can learn to use it very well. So the next blade we made was the Magnus which has a five inch blade, which a lot of guys in the, you know, everyday carry market think is a little bit excessive to have a five inch fixed blade knife on you at all times. I'm doing backcountry stuff all the time. I, I don't think it's excessive. So we did that one first. And then we yeah. came back a year later and we did the Minuteman, which has a four inch blade. And that's kind of, I, I think that's the, really the sweet spot that it's like, man, if you're just going to have one, probably that Minuteman's the way to go. Cause you can, you can pocket carry that one. You know, it's only slightly bigger than a Northman. You can pocket carry it. You can belt carry it. It does fit your hand significantly better than a Northman does. Uh, so if, if I can only have one, it would probably be a minute, man. But fortunately, I know a guy that owns the company. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I can, I can, uh, definitely back it up. You've, uh, you've sent me, uh, a Magnus and a Northman since you've started making blades and both you, you of don't them have are... a Minuteman yet. Uh, no, I don't have a Minuteman. Okay. But I've got a noted. You gave me number one eighty seven on the Magnus, right? One eighty seven, right? And that the yeah, one eighty seven. Yeah. And it wasn't didn't click until you told me. Like, did you did you look at the serial number? I'm like, yeah, one eighty seven. What's that? And you're like, that's the uh, that's the police. That's the police call for uh, murder, right? A one eighty seven is in progress. <laughs> I was like, damn, that's pretty cool. I didn't even think of that. Um, and I appreciate it. But your Northman, I carry. I mean, like, I'm a big rider, right? Whether I'm on a crotch rocket or on an Indian, I've got that thing in my pocket right there. I know it's there. I know it's always going to be there. It's not going anywhere. Um, it's concealed enough, but not so much. And that's the beauty of that thing, right? It's there, but not there. Nobody's really notices it. And uh, and it's fast. Like, and it's you fast. You can hang out with your hands, you know, kind of thumbs hooked in yeah. your pockets. That, that's a common way that guys will stand. And you've already got your hand on your blade. I mean, it's yeah. so uh, there's times where I'm like, okay, shouldn't be standing that way right now. And I'll, I'll <laughs> consciously move my hands to a different position just because you know, I've repped it a lot. And it's like, uh, there's, 
you know, obviously that's not always appropriate to stab someone. Uh, (laughs) It should be a very deliberate thing to do. Right. Uh, right. You know, so there's times where I'll like, I'll find myself like shady dude kind of walking up and then I'm like, wait a minute, I'm at the local like hippie grocery store. Like, okay, hands should probably come out of my pockets right now. That's right. Right. Yeah. It's a, uh, I love it, man. And uh, I think, um, God, yeah, I carry it. Yeah, I carry it definitely more than any other any other blade I've ever carried. Really, I mean, back in the day when we were all carrying the you know folders, CQC sevens. Yeah, well, before I even came in the Navy, it was like these spider codes, and then yeah. the spider. Then we evolved to the Benchmade before yeah. I came in the Navy, just because I was hanging out with you know some guys that already kind of had the inside track on that world, right? So yeah. I had a. That CQC, yeah, the seven, right? Was that the first yeah. one Emerson did for Benchmade before he, he then he later years later he broke off and Emerson became his own guy, right? I think so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that uh, Tonto kind of hybrid Tonto tip on it, you know, yeah. super cool. Um, but your knives definitely cooler. I mean, a fixed blade that sits in your pocket like a folder is just it's ingenious. I, and what, what we always tell guys is there's you know there's there's great folders that are out there. The, the problem is, what does your folder draw stroke look like while being pushed backwards and punched in the face? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard enough to draw a fixed blade under those circumstances or your pistol during those circumstances. But having to, yeah. to do something where, you know, even even on a, a, an auto, you have to have a, a pretty compromised grip while you're hitting that button. Sure um, or, or a thumb stud or a flipper tab or any of those things. Um, you, you have a compromised grip on it. And at some point on a lot of them, especially a folder that comes out the, you know, the normal folder at some point while it's being deployed, you're actually tip on with yourself. So if in the middle of deploying it, your hand got checked, you're potentially self-inflicting. Right. Um, which is obviously suboptimal. Yeah. And to translate that tip on, meaning the point of the blade is pointed at you and not the adversary. So with a folder, that split second as you start to open the blade, the blade is pointed in, the point is in your direction until you fully extend it around 180 degrees and lock it into place. Only then is it going to work effectively against the bad guy. We will be right back after the break. Okay, Bill. Boy, we could keep going for hours on this stuff. I know you could, and uh, but it's time. It's time to see if you truly survive this podcast. And uh, are you ready for your hypothetical survival scenario? Send it. <laughs> All right. So for your hypothetical survival situation, you've gone to an outdoor shooting range, okay, to shoot some pistol rounds because you like pistol. And you're bored, so you went to the range. Uh, well, we'll just kind of skip through. It's, uh, it's getting late into the afternoon. And you leave, okay? You stop at a gas station, uh, and as you finish filling up your vehicle, you notice two guys in the parking lot have eyes on you, and they're walking towards you, okay? So as you put the gas cap back on your vehicle, do you, A, look away from the two guys, not to offend them, you know, or B, keep your, keep your eyes on them, and make your way back to the driver's side of your vehicle. 
is it only A or B, or is there an option C <laughs> as well? It's only A or B because it kind of tends to be a domino effect here that we have to go with. <laughs> I would I would probably keep my eyes on the threat. If if doing a scan for any additional threats was was not an option, I would keep my eyes on the known or the potential known threat. Correct B. So yeah, we're talking at the basic level. We're talking about situational awareness, right? Yep. So. You notice something bad going on, then you probably should uh, at least keep your tab on it uh, the best you can. Um, so before you can get back to the driver's side door, okay, one of the guys yells at you, Hey, can I ask you a question? And now they're still moving towards you, okay? Do you A, stop where you're at, which is the passenger side of the vehicle, and ask them, Hey, well, yeah, what can I help you with? Or B, keep moving towards it to the driver's side and acknowledge them in a neutral manner. I'm going to keep moving. Uh, I mean, yeah. without being able to visualize this, I'm, I'm going to attempt <clears throat> to place an obstacle in between myself and the potential threat. But I'm, I'm going to keep, I'm going to start talking with my hands and yeah. engage them and Hey man, what, what can I do for you? That's right. Cause you're a nice guy, Bill. Come on. You're a nice guy. I'm here to help. <laughs> B is correct. Keep moving and acknowledge them in an, in a neutral manner. All right. Um, being friendly and non-aggressive is what you tend to recommend. But again, situational awareness and looking out for your own safety dictates that you keep moving toward the vehicle driver's side so that you can leave quickly or pull a weapon or do whatever you need to do. Um, you start to open the driver's door to get into your vehicle and one of the guys pushes the driver's door shut and says, empty your pockets. <laughs> so do you A draw your weapon or B try to reason with them and ask them that, Hey, I don't, I don't want any trouble. Uh, so first off, I would try and create space at this point. Uh, probably not going to deploy a, a pistol at this point. Cause I would rather give them money than shoot them. Uh, and you haven't said whether or not they've, they've produced any weapons yet. Uh, so I'm, I'm assuming that they haven't. They're just they're asking for money. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to try and comply with them, right? I'm, I'm going to you know continue to engage verbally, but I'm definitely not going to get in the car at this point because you get crushed getting in the car right there. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to be circling to try and make sure that I'm lining up both of their guys, right? You can't get flanked, so you, you have it, it becomes a movement game at this point to make sure that you are. Uh, that you're tracking on both of the threats at the same time. Yeah. You answered beyond the answers, which of course I wouldn't expect any less from you. Um, but I did, we, I did put you as drawing your weapon because you're an aggressive kind of guy. Okay. So, Hey, <laughs> you draw a weapon, <laughs> but yeah, just like many of these, there's two right answers sometimes, you know, and it's really situation dictates just like in real life, correct? It's really dependent on what's going on. You're already outnumbered. You could, you could literally pull a weapon and probably get away with saying, hey, I was outnumbered. I felt threatened. And so I pulled a knife or I pulled something to try and intimidate them back and create space or whatever, um, which leads to a little sidebar conversation. I'm curious your thoughts on this. And uh, I went through this with John Lovell, Warrior Poet Society, right? And, you know, we are, as military trained, that if you pull your weapon, you better be pulling the trigger kind of mentality. Um, but do you think there's a place to 
draw a weapon in order to prevent anything from going any further? Ab- absolutely. Uh, okay. yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I tell guys that I used to say, don't pull your pistol out unless you're going to use it. Mm-hmm. And that was a very immature, less experienced me that, that, that said that. Yeah. Because cops pull their pistols out all the time and and shoot people very rarely. Shoot, you know, pulling out your pistol can have a very de-escalating effect. Right. Right. Yes. So what, now what I tell guys is it's never posturing. It's never, I just want to win an argument. Uh, so I'm going to pull my pistol out. It is, okay, I, you know, my whatever, 44 years of experience tell me that this is going to escalate. Therefore, yeah. I am go- like, I'm ready to shoot this guy if he takes two more steps forward. Therefore, if I can pull my pistol out now and say, no, buddy, let, let's just go ahead and stop right there. You know, if, if I can do that and he leaves, man, it's a much higher level win. It's always a higher level win to win with a lower level of violence. Yes. Right. Couldn't because I get to go home. He gets to go home. I'm not, even if it's a righteous shoot, that's still like, I'm getting arrested that day. Oh, yeah. You know, there's still, I'm losing my pistol. Like there's, there's going to be all sorts of anxiety because, you know, they're going to read you the riot act. They're probably still going to charge you with something initially. Like, man, everyone's life is better if, you're like no, like yeah. if, if you if you take two more steps forward, or or it might be you know that same type of situation. Maybe the guy, one guy's got a pipe, you ID that, you pull a pistol out, and you're like, no man, like this this is not happening. Go go yeah. away. Go go right. home to mama right now. Like go go chill out at home. Like I, I'm gonna leave right now. Uh, but in your mind, you're like, if he comes around, if he breaks twelve o'clock on my truck, I'm gonna burn him down. Because I can't. Because past that, it's he's too fast. For, yeah. for me to be able to to engage him, um, right. and that is a significantly higher level win. Yeah, I like it. I mean, A and B both are good answers, and really boils down to is uh, what you are comfortable with, what you are, what have you been training with for the average person? You, obviously, you're a highly trained guy, and de-escalating with a weapon in your hand is doable for someone like you. It may not be doable for the average person unless they've been through enough training and have that confidence there you know others may just want to leave the weapons out of it because they might get their ass kicked with their own weapons so um anyway you draw your weapon but one of the guys hits you from behind and knocks you out okay bill you just got knocked out you didn't even see it coming now you wake up in a crappy bedroom somewhere (laughs) all right i don't like where this is going (laughs) And there's a bathroom in your room. Uh, there's a window, and and you can tell you are on the third floor of this uh, crappy house. Okay, your weapon, your wallet, your keys are all gone, and uh, you can hear voices in the other side of the door. Um, there's a king size bed in the room. Uh, there's some duct tape on a table nearby. Uh, and the bathroom is basically falling apart. Uh, there's ceramic tiles laying all over the place. Uh, and coming loose from the wall. Okay, so do you, A, get close to the door and listen to what you can hear and try to look under the door and figure out how many guys you're up against, or B, open the door and stick your head out? We go with A. A. And we try and make weapons. All those (laughs) tiles, all those ceramic tiles laying there, like I'm going to make some sort of thrusting device. 
with go. that and maybe projectile weapon as well. <laughs> you're already all over it. Okay. Um, so situational awareness, again, you're, getting, you're collecting your intel, you're trying to figure out what's going on, and you don't want to alert the enemy uh, until you got a good plan figured out. Um, you hear at least two guys talking outside the door there. It sounds like one of them is loading a shotgun, right? Those uh, definitely an audible clicks of those things going into the tube. So do you, A, barricade the door, um, or B, hide in the bathtub? I would try to ambush them at the door. I mean, that's... <laughs> that sounds like more fun. Yes. I mean, that, that, it's, I've, I feel like that would be the <laughs> highest likelihood of getting that shotgun offline uh, yes. and and being able to then stab him with with the, the, the tiles. The, yeah, we might, we might get um, to that. <laughs> but with those two options, uh, I would probably try and barricade the door. Barricade the door, correct. Um, hiding is not going to really help you unless in dire straits, you know, concealment versus, yeah, I just want to keep them out completely. There's just not that, that far to go. I mean, if, right. if you've got a whole office building to hide in, that's one thing. If you there have you a bedroom and one room off of it, you're not really hiding anywhere. Right. And for those of you that think barricading means stack stuff up uh, along a door, yeah, that might delay them. But what you want to do is just prevent them from coming in to all together. So what you want to do is stack stuff up linear against the door. Like, ideally, if there's enough furniture in the room, you want to stack against the door, let's say the bed. And then behind the bed, uh, maybe a dresser. And a dresser could be a nightstand. And by the time you line all these things up, you'll have reached the wall across the room. And the wall becomes the brace and no one is getting in that door. Uh, so when you, if you find yourself in a situation where you've got a barricade, barricade linear. Stack everything behind one another all the way to the opposing wall. Okay. Um, so you get the door barricaded, all right? And uh, so now, A, uh, find somewhere to hide. Or B, create some improvised, we'll say body armor. Because I know you're creative enough to start maybe making some body armor. Let's fight. <laughs> Bill wants to go straight let's, to the fight, so let's yes. Let's armor up. I mean, well, armor that's, up that's, first. The, that's the logical step. If we're yes. gonna, if Gotta we have to armor. fight at that point, yeah. Uh, I mean, that that the fight is coming. So let's let's make yeah. tools. Let's make tools. Let's armor right. up. Shield. Um, so, <clears throat> for those of you that don't know, that it is somewhat possible to create improvised body armor out of ceramic tiles they absorb energy incredibly amazing and we're talking about like less than 50 cents at a walmart you can stack these things um and place them over any potentially vital organs or uh what you feel is necessary in order to survive what you're about to encounter um and we don't know that there's more than a shotgun but we know there's a shotgun at a minimum and uh, those BBs certainly be stopped by uh, ceramic tiles that are stacked, taped, and placed in the right places. Okay, so I have to assume they have my pistol as well, and my blade. <laughs> have to assume, and my other your... blade, and my spare magazine, <laughs> and my flashlight, <laughs> and the carbine that was in your truck. And uh, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> all right, so you got to get a lot of tiles, people. Lots of tiles. <laughs> um, all right, so next, do you hide in the closet? 
Or maybe create a repelling harness. Think about the things in the room. Uh, I mean, having been a climber, <laughs> making a harness probably... like. I think you could create a uh, some sort of cordage out of sheets mm-hmm. uh, to potentially escape with, but I'm probably not going to try and make a a figure eight or an ATC or something to actually repel off of. I would probably just hand over hand it. So I, I'm definitely not going to try and make a a harness for for down climbing. If, if I'm going to try and down climb, it would just be free handing, you know, or yeah, yeah, just rope, rope rope down climb. Got it. Uh, and so that is correct. What was the other? So probably the other one. What was the other one? Well, it was hide in the closet or create oh. a yeah, create a repelling. When it says harness, it's just you know a way to uh, a way to egress. Out. Yes. Okay. Then yes. Since, then that, since that you've would got be three stories. Go okay. All right. So again, hiding and waiting for the enemy doesn't make sense. Really doesn't. Um, anytime you can get distance between you and the aggressors, you should in order to increase survivability. Harnesses themselves, you're right. That's kind of a tough one to make out of. Uh, you could take a, a, one of your king size sheets and, uh, you know, kind of whip roll it real quickly, yep. tie uh, a knot in it, and then create a Swiss seat of fashion, you know, where you stand around this big loop and you pull it up through between your legs, around your hips, and it all connects in the center. Um, but the big thing here is a king size sheet, your standard king size sheet from corner to corner diagonally is 12 feet. And here in the United States, one story is usually 10 feet. So you've got enough room at both ends of your, you know, makeshift rope to tie some pretty decent knots and still have 10 feet uh, that will help you get out of this three story situation. Okay. Um, actually, Clint, here, if I, if I can inject. Yes. Because... Yes. Uh, we did a whole class on, on egress like that, yeah. like repelling off of crazy things. Uh, I think that the, the craziest was a piece of five, five, six brass. I don't think it held. Um, but basically. Oh, using it as take, an anchor, take your rope. Like, I mean, you could do it off of a blade. You could do it off of like, let's say the, the leg of a chair. Yeah. You just tie into the center of that. And then you're holding it in the corner as you slowly let yourself around and then the friction is it's pulling it in. And uh, so it's actually really easy to, to, to build an anchor like that to then, you know, to be able to egress. No, that's a great point. Do you remember the first time uh, doing that with the fast ropes at any of the Mount? Remember like they drop, drop the helos, drop the fast ropes. You could take, And for those of you listening, you've got different lengths of fast rope. But one thing that's for sure is one foot equals one pound. So a 90-foot fast rope weighs 90 pounds. I think it weighs more than that. (laughs) How many carries? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if that was correct. That's what I was told. Um, But what's cool is 90-degree bends uh, can serve as anchor points as well. Yeah. Right? And if you've got a heavy enough rope, like a fast rope, um, you can keep, I think, is it a third of the rope on the roof without being tied to anything and still use it to go down the building, down the side of a building if necessary, right? You never even had to tie it. It was just the weight of the rope or you made it do a whole bunch of bends and that served too. But uh, yeah, great point, man. So uh, so you guys tied into a 5.56? Five, five, 
I, I think brass. The, the, the brass failed actually. So we, we had backup, Buckled. you know, we had, we had top ropes, yeah, um, okay. but guys had like crazy guys were trying. Uh, I think guys did fast or did go off of like a SIG magazine. Nice. Just, you know, steal one of those mech gear mags yeah. like we had and just like, just holding that in the corner and going off of it. Definitely the aluminum five, five, six mags guys, guys wrapped off of that That's um, cool. backpack with three corners. Right. Oh, so yeah. A little, a little wall on top of a roof and just holding that backpack in place until you get. So you just don't want to do like the the like textbook feet at a 90 degree angle and rappel down. because you'll, <laughs> yeah. you'll rip your anchor right out. But you kind of like you do like the like people that are f- afraid of rappelling, like when they're right. like working their way down like that. Like you kind of have to do that. And then you kind of slowly let up, you know, with your arms still to be able to catch it and then just don't bounce at all right slowly <laughs> yeah. slowly don't do a down. thing <laughs> yeah Think so light. it's straight weight down not yes. out away from not the wall out. yeah got it <laughs> that's good stuff man all right back to the scenario all right um Sorry. sidetrack no that's good we talked about yeah so now with your improvised body armor you've got body armor on you've got your harness you've got your rope i mean you're ready um do you a hop out the window and just get out of there or B, what we just talked about, uh, you're going to secure the rope. Obviously, B. Uh, and in this room, you have some pretty big objects you could tie off to. So you're comfortable with tying off to the bed, the dresser, or whatever you've got there. And like you said, you could tie off to smaller things, and they work. You just got to be very, very careful. Um, do you Once you get tied off, so we're going to give you that one since you already answered it ahead of time. Um, now that you, you've got your rope and you're securely tied off, do you A, exit through the window and rappel to safety, or B, place a towel or pillow at the bottom of the window just in case? The bottom of the window? Basically a buffer between your makeshift rope and potentially... Oh, just for, for chafing? I guess it would depend yeah, on... Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've watched stuff fail due to uh yeah. we had one of my friends actually got smashed in the face pretty good doing a heavy lift project on just off a piece of angle and it was like a one inch uh tubular or half inch oh wow tubular and you know it was it was a tied i think it was a tied spectra loop so those things are incredibly strong but just on a sharp sharp piece of angle yeah ripped right out smashed him in the face yeah. Uh, so yeah, those. So yeah, chafing, these, chafing yeah. material. If just to uh, be. if you have it, I'm going to use chafing material. Got it. Okay. Um. So, yeah, that that's really the one last kind of tip is because you don't want to have gone through all these efforts, you know, to get yourself out and then get on the rope and it it just slices because you didn't think about that. Maybe it's a broken piece of glass. Maybe it's a aluminum window frame that'll just cut right yep. through it as soon as you put weight on it. Um. All right. So now that you're on the ground, okay, do you, A, go back in and thrash everyone in the house and get your stuff back? <laughs> That's a bill. That bill's going to, I know I already know the answer to this. Or B, slip away into the darkness and call authorities. I'm going to leave. I mean, it's <laughs> the higher, higher level win. Like, honestly, it's not worth, uh, I don't want to. Yeah. You know, I, I, I mean, now, you know, try and prove self-defense at that point. Right. Now, now I went back in with no tool, no purpose-built tools other than some homemade body armor. 
you know, and, and a sheet. I can, I can start garroting people with, with my bed sheet. Oh, right. you know, or make a tropo or something out of it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say I'm, I'm going to leave and yeah. uh, call authorities. That's, that is correct. my life will be better. That's like right. That. You're going to you're going to get your stuff back. Uh, yeah. Right. Get the authorities there. You're good to go. So the cops come and uh, you did everything right. And I like that. You took the high ground all the way through. Um, and you have survived this podcast. Good job, Bill. Excellent. I didn't think you would go any other way, but survive. All right. So, uh, you know, before we leave, where can our listeners find you? Sign up for some courses. Give us the lowdown. AmtechShooting.com and AmtechBlades.com. So the, the Amtech Shooting is is our training website. Even if you aren't going to sign up for a class, we've got a, a bunch of articles on there on mindset and training and probably a lot of guys that are, if you're listening to this, you'll probably find some of those articles interesting. Uh, so AmtechShooting.com for anything training related and AmtechBlades.com uh, for any of our blades. And awesome. we're also on Instagram and Facebook and you know, normal social media stuff. Yeah. And if any of you can't remember that, you can go over to my Instagram account and look at who I follow. It's a limited number of folks. And Bill is definitely one of them. He's Amtac shooting. He's Amtac blades. Both of those. I highly recommend everything he puts out along with his courses and, uh, and his blades. So check them out. Um, you're definitely, if you're buying something from Bill, you're getting quality. And on top of that, you're supporting him. And uh, now he's up to seven kids. Congratulations. Thank you. A little girl has been added to his personal army. And uh, now the oldest is a uh, is a girl. And now the youngest is yes. a girl. Is that correct? Yes. And so five, five screaming boys in between. <laughs> Those lucky girls, I tell you. <laughs> But uh, like I always say, keep it simple because crisis will complicate the rest. And thanks for listening. Can You Survive This Podcast is a production of Calvary Audio and iHeartMedia. Recorded live from a secure location here in Dallas, Texas. Produced by Brandon Morgan, Jeff Apple, and Clint Emerson. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti. For Calvary Audio, I'm Clint Emerson.